everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Glad Trad Podcast. Hello, hello. I'm Rodolfo Carlos. And I'm Jordan Pacheco. Rudy, how's, uh, how's day one of Exodus 90 treating you? It's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, I know. I hear you. So we uh, we decided to, not just by peer pressure, of course. I think we actually have have some some skin in the game to suss out. Or or maybe you were forced. I don't know. I wasn't. No. As I say, it's just like guns pointed to my back. We are in Exodus 90 right now, which is a, um, a really kind of cool, rigorous, spiritual and physical uh, discipline for the next 90 days. Uh, f- Built particularly for men, and so we've joined with a bunch of uh, of men from our church, and this is a an exercise, a spiritual exercise, which encourages daily prayer, exercise, and also foregoing a lot of the the pleasures and easiness of life. So that means that for the next ninety days, besides uh, a holy hour and besides daily meditation and weekly meetings and readings and that sort of thing. We can't have alcohol, desserts, sweets of any kind, sugary drinks, soda, no television, no <laughs> video games. <laughs> and what's the what's the what's the icing on the cake, Rudy? Uh what? The cold showers? The cold showers. I'm not even honestly compared to everything else, the cold showers are nothing. What do you, oh really? What are you what are you most sad about? I I really have a sweet tooth, so I'm dying, man. Oof. I I feel like I got the shakes because yeah. I don't have sugar. <laughs> I, I Let me tell you how, how horrible. So my morning routine, I didn't even realize this, but my morning routine is that I usually wake up and I just immediately oftentimes finish whatever YouTube video I was watching <laughs> or I start scrolling through like the meme pages of Facebook and stuff. What, like you were watching in your dream? Like sometimes, honestly. I, I've had, <laughs> let me tell you how bad it's gotten. Sometimes I'll fall asleep watching something. You ever had that and you wake up and I'm like, how did my phone get in my bed? And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I, I never let myself do that because I have this, <laughs> even though I, I set the alarm and it never changes and it's probably always on no matter what I do, I never let myself fall asleep on a video because I get paranoid that I have to uncheck the <laughs> the on off switch on the alarm mm-hmm. and then make sure that it's on <laughs> so that I, I don't miss a day of work or whatever that's good I, hey man whatever feels safe it is uh some of us don't have that luxury apparently yeah. so yeah so that's kind of hard it's be nice to be a freelancer oh that's right i am a freelancer and that freelance life is treating me very nice you know what time i got to work today 10 10 that's great yeah exactly guess what time i left six Two. that's okay yeah no, i could have if i wanted <laughs> uh so here's something cool so yeah so i i realized very early on that uh this is going to be tough and besides that, of course, we also have to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. I'm doing this because it is a sacrifice for my marriage. It kind of times itself out perfectly because by the time that we're done at Easter, we're only going to be um, April, May, June, July, like just halfway, just halfway yeah. through, our, through our engagement process. And you're actually that's three months that you'll have left, right? Something like that. Yeah, it's going to be, let's see, uh, three months from now, January, February, March, April, May, June. Yeah, three months away from there. The Glad Chad podcast is brought to you by math. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember last episode, I told you I'm terrible at math. Mm-hmm. So I always have to count on my fingers. This also means we can't do social media, uh, which, Ooh. well, and by social media, it doesn't mean like we're not doing this podcast, but it's like not pertinent social media, which means that our favorite pages and meme pages have to take a backseat for the next 90 days. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, what's really interesting, though, is today I was thinking uh, while I was driving back from work, because we're not really allowed to consume media in general. I mean, we, we we gave each other like an exception to listen to spiritual podcasts, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. But for the most part, you're, you're sitting there in silence and just kind of letting that silence uh, work on you a little bit. But I was thinking whenever I open up social media like Instagram, it's not because I actually care about what's on there. I just want to scroll through it. I just want to keep scrolling and scrolling. Mm-hmm. And I, I got, I've gotten to a point where this is part of the reason why I decided to do Exodus 90 is because I had gotten to a point where I'm just uh, in, in a daze, just scrolling and scrolling, scrolling. And then I realized um, a couple of weeks ago that an hour had passed by and I had just yeah. wasted it scrolling and 
it was nothing. There was no substance to anything that I saw. So that's part of the reason why I'm doing that. Um, also for, for marriage preparation as well. I think it's very funny how, because I'm the same way. I'm a scroller. And I, my YouTube, I'm because sometimes, you know, you hit the home button on YouTube mm-hmm. and it puts you back up at the top and it'll just go for like a minute. I don't, I just had last week and I was like, what am I even looking for? Deleting Instagram and Facebook off of my phone today was like the most liberating and Snapchat, although I don't really use it, was the most liberating thing I, f- I felt like I've done in a really long time. It was, yeah, it, it was pretty liberating for me too. Um, but I think it's because I, I kept really busy today. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I think, so one thing about Exodus 90 real quick is that it's not just like your journey as a singular unit, because as you know, like, you know, you live as an individual, you fall as an individual. So it's it's really about the fraternity of men too. Mm-hmm. So we have weekly meetings, so we're going to meet and we talk about our successes and our failures. And we also have to pray for the the strength of our fraternity of brothers who are undertaking this. And we're all going to emerge hopefully more spiritually uh, sharp as well. as I think this will be nice because I'm going to spend more quality time with my family and my fiance in kind of a different way. It's, you know, it's going to be a different form of communication. Um, for girls, by the way, there isn't, there's something called Nineveh 90, which a lot of the women of our church are undertaking, our fiancés included. Mm-hmm. And they have some of the very much the same sorts of, uh, of disciplines upon themselves, no alcohol, uh, no social media, no entertainment kind of like, like uh, technology related entertainment, that kind of stuff. But there are also uh, some differences. It seems like they have a different sort of prayer structure than us. I noticed um, they can they can take warm showers. God bless them. <laughs> you know, and also their Sundays, uh, they can it's like Lent. Their Sundays, they can uh, not a, a complete a bore their disciplines, but they can relax it a little bit. So uh, it's kind of cool to see their transformation. So this is actually a really exciting time for me because for Jen and I, uh, we already, I think, communicate really well. But I think that because we don't have the distractions of modern life mm-hmm. for the next 90 days, I think that our quality time and our quality time with friends and all that kind of stuff is going to mean something different because we're not just going to be sitting in silence watching something. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm actually really happy that, that Jen and Ashley are doing this together as well because um, I went into it thinking, you know, I was going to be this monk for the next 90 days. And that can be a little challenging if your significant other is not really interested in that mm-hmm. or, you know, if it really kind of changes the dynamic of the relationship a little bit and you know we're about to get married so it's not really going to change the dynamic all too much but um you know it it can cause friction if you're you know not being able to consume any sort of uh, entertainment you know sometimes people get get to a point where you know you have a hard day and you get together and you watch a movie or something and that's not really on the table anymore um, but it's, it's not a bad thing because we're, we're both growing, uh, in our spirituality mm-hmm. and, um, I think we're going to be better for it at the end. Yeah. And that's what it's yeah. about. It's, it's, and I can already tell this first day is started off tough because I can already tell there were habits that I had formed, not habits. I would say that are, are sinful, right? But these are just habits that distract us from, from God and from our, mm-hmm. our purposes. And so it's funny that already off the bat, it's like you have to have a, a holy hour. And what does that mean? Oh, you know, I, I like the habit of getting up in the morning and thanking God. And, and that's the only time of the day that my mind is quiet enough to really get that in. And I'd forgotten that. And that's because, you know, oftentimes we don't like to sit in silence and think in silence. Even when we think we're being quiet, we're really not, <laughs> which is which is for me especially is very hard. Uh, so I'm excited because I I want to grow deeper in my faith. And I think that's going to strengthen you know, the great journey that I have, I'm sure for you, the great journey that you're about to have. Uh, and so, yeah. So if you're listening, please pray for us. Uh, please pray for our poor, good fraternity at, uh, at St. Vitus, these good men we're also undertaking it with. And, uh, yeah, that from the other side, we're going to emerge. We're going to be better sons of God. And we're also going to be more attentive in our, in our family lives as well. So we live in Los Angeles, California. And the cool thing about Los Angeles in particular is that Los Angeles has a, a rich history of Catholicism. And it's cool because even though a lot of it's been obscured, one thing that persists in California that's different from where I come from, which is Colorado at least, 
is that the churches are old and ancient and a lot of them are actually really beautiful. And, um, you know, as we kind of talked about with the previous episode, not a great amount of our faith is the interior life. It's about the disposition. Like, you know, we attending St. Vitus and San Fernando have a very, very humble looking church uh, that that is not the most pretty spaces, of course, but the interior life is just bursting at the seams. But nonetheless, as Catholics, we are also, we believe that the aesthetics, of course, are wonderful because they point to God. And so we wanted to talk about church architecture, which is one of the most important aesthetics that we can give because church architecture does a ton of things. It announces immediately what your priorities are. Uh, it it shows kind of the mastery of, of the human element that we have. And then more importantly, it ties all that together to point towards heaven in a really radical sort of way. Now, disclaimer would be that we are not architects. Wait, we're not? Dude, I, got, I didn't want to tell you, but I got my license. Oh, did you buy it off of eBay? I mean, I jacked a guy, but yeah. <laughs> I, I got mine printed at Kinko's. There we go. <laughs> a, there we degree. go. The Chad way. My, my fake The Chad way. <laughs> I put it up next to my doctorate. Oh my gosh, that's a doctorate in, uh, in meme production now. <laughs> I don't think you need a degree to see the the changes in architecture in a post-conciliar time. Um, I, I know I have my, my own stories of experiencing that. Mm -hmm. Have you ever encountered anything like that, Jordan? Yeah. You know, unfortunately that I have. And one thing that's funny is that even before, as we were kind of thinking about this podcast idea, uh, Rudy and I were searching through churches here in Los Angeles. And what's very funny is that there are some churches that were completely destroyed. In fact, I have this really interesting idea uh, how beautiful architecture is and how it points to our life and how for growing up for a lot of my life, I just haven't seen a lot of that fulfilled beauty inside church. Uh, churches oftentimes for me were just, you know, you hear like the term worship space, right? Ooh. If you uh, <laughs> if you ever hear somebody describe their church as a worship, worship space, space, run away. Run away. And here's the thing, though, but it's it's not I was going to say it's very Protestant, but here's the problem. The Protestants are actually building their churches beautiful, more beautiful than ours. There's a quote or a saying that whatever habit the Catholic Church drops, the world picks up. So the Catholic Church drops its authority over architecture and the world begins to incorporate it into itself for its own kind of purposes. So there are a lot of churches here in Los Angeles. That I'll be like, that's kind of a pretty church. That's not one of ours. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah. Hey, so you ever do the thing where you're you're on the freeway or you're passing down, a you know, going down a street in your car and you're like, ah, should I cross myself? I don't know. Ooh, there's, Is it Catholic? I'm not sure. There was, um, there's a near USC. There's a cathedral, quote unquote cathedral. I think it's the, not the Episcopalians. That's too easy, but it might be the Episcopalians. Uh, but yeah, you're like, I remember there was, they had a very, very, uh, uh, shall we say a uh, liberal banner above mm -hmm. what is really beautiful architecture. So I think it must be Episcopalian, certainly high church, kind of that Protestant. -y. And I remember being like, I always have that red door, that red that, door, like, cottage door. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was like, there's no way. I was like, there's no way the diocese would allow this. Something about guns or whatever. I was like, no way. Guns and gays. And I was like, no way. And so sure enough, it was like Episcopalian. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> We're not that crazy. You know, where it's really bad is uh, in Ireland. So they're Protestant churches and you pass by them all the time and they have like saint names sometimes. Yeah, church. And you can never them. tell if they're actually Catholic or not until you see the sign. You know, some of the signs will say like Church of Ireland or something like mm -hmm. that. Or I, I can't remember if it's a Church of Ireland or Church of England or something. I don't think it would be England, to be honest with you, because it's probably it Church of Ireland, which church might be a subsection of the a Anglican sub, yeah. Communion, which is the Church of England. A subsidiary. Of <laughs> subsidiary, <laughs> but now they're all fracturing. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a, you know, it's very funny because, again, like here in Los Angeles, there are beautiful churches. Blessed Sacrament. Uh, there is St. Charles Borromeo. Uh, you know, churches that really do give honor and glory to God. And you know that they fought hard for the architecture. But meanwhile, to be honest... Um, you go to the uh, so before we built uh, Our Lady Queen of the Angels Cathedral, which uh, some people like to affectionately refer to as the Taj Mahoney. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. I heard, you know, it's funny. I was walking to it, and there were these two older guys in front of me. That's what they said flatly, and I was like, "That's so wonderful." Uh, if you haven't seen it, by the way, our cathedral here in Los Angeles now is not. It's not. A, it's oof. 
I used to think that it was nice, but I I can't I woke up. One I can't day. say that anymore. Yeah. It just looks out of place and out of place. But and it doesn't. It doesn't. Again, it's not evocative of anything really particularly religious. In fact, a lot of times if you pass it by the highway, you don't even notice that it's a cathedral until the sign tells you that it is. But one thing that's funny is that before we had that, our cathedral in Los Angeles was St. Viviana's, which is located downtown. And what was nice about it is that it's a kind of an uptouched Baroque kind of style. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of like if the late 1800s in Italy built churches, what they might look like. And that's and a transplanted and, and tra- like heated into, into existence. <laughs> it's nice because it's also very like that kind of style is is nice because it also feels very strangely Americana in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. like American Catholics and like the immigrants, the Poles and the Irish when they built their churches, right? We see those kinds of churches in the East Coast, especially yeah. in Colorado, where I'm from. We have a uh, we have our Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. And we have a, a another lady of Mount Carmel. There's one that it's like more gothic architecture run by the fraternity where I'm getting married. But there's a second one, which is like, it's like a, it's like Notre Dame in a Baroque more kind of style, beautiful mm. red building. I think it was built by Polish Catholics and it's a really beautiful place. I like Baroque. I, I think, I think that's my preferred style. Yeah. And I think what's nice about kind of Baroque is it's evocative of like what the counter-reformation, it, it's actually nice because Baroque actually is, is historically it's, it's kind of a nice setting we see broke architecture in like the renaissance but also like the counter-reformation is just filled with it that's when it just exploded everywhere so you kind of look at that and you realize like that's when catholics are really coming together to figure out what architecture means for them mm-hmm. now what's funny of course is that for all these sorts of churches uh again they're they're aesthetically pleasing but what's funny is that uh they all still point to the same reality and so a lot of churches, even the more simple ones, they you can see what they are immediately. You know what they stand for. And this has nothing to even say about what the inside of these churches we used to do to them. I mean, architecture is wonderful because you can tell a lot about the disposition of an entire peoples by the kind of buildings that they have. Mm-hmm. You could tell what the Roman Empire was getting for, death or dishonor. And you can tell it because of the wonderful structures they built. You can tell the Greco influence in, in Rome. In Catholicism, what do we prize? Well, we prize beauty, truth, and goodness. And so we do things that are appealing to the eye and want to invite you as the person on the street, you as the as the downtrodden sinner, into the fullness of the church experience. Yes, and, and St. Vibiana's Cathedral is uh, a remarkable example of, of how things can go wrong because now, (laughs) now, um, we have this amazing, beautiful cathedral. It's still there by the way, Mm -hmm. but now it's a restaurant. It's an event space too. You you could just rent it out. Yeah. You could have your wedding there, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, this, this wonderful cathedral, obviously look, uh, it might've not have been big enough to be the cathedral for Los Angeles now in modern times, but, for us to just freely just sell it and get rid of it, you know, that, that, that to me is a disservice to such a beautiful, beautiful church. And so now I think we could segue into having that as a prime example of this beautiful church, just becoming a restaurant. Mm-hmm. We can kind of see the way that other churches have been. I think we, we, we like to use the word recovated. Yeah. Yeah. To convey a whole complete different reality, a more, I like to think of it more as a Protestant reality, uh, a dumbing down, a watering down of, of tradition, a watering down of that beauty. Yeah. What there's been is there's been a disdain for the aesthetics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked, we kind of joked about this before, but what happens when you change the philosophy from your church being the seat of Christ at the altar, right? A place to house the tabernacle, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God to a worship space. <laughs> because even, like, it's funny, but think about like, even the, the phrase worship space, it's a blank canvas. Worship space. And so we're going to do not what is most pleasing to God, what's going to satisfy the community as a whole, really, but we're going to do the thing that's, you know, it. look, at the end of the day, like, what's a philosophy? Well, God will accept it no matter what. So, you know, like, let's carpet down. Carpet, Carpet's more cost-effective. 
it's logistically easier if we don't have a high altar. It's just too expensive. We can't afford a high altar. We're not going to try to build one or anything. We're not even going to try to put a modern, modest, I'm sorry. We're not even going to try to put a modest uh, altar in or altar rails and that kind of thing. But it doesn't matter because God is here in this place, you know? Our God is here. here. Our God is here. <laughs> We're so horrible. <laughs> Man, dude. <laughs> and it's completely true. And so, unfortunately for me, I mean, I don't know what your experiences are. And I'll ask, I want to ask you about, like, what kind of churches did you grow up in? In Colorado, where I'm from, because our buildings are often uh, blown away by tornadoes, Buffalo Stampedes and Cheyenne Indians. Uh, we we don't have, there are, in Denver, there are, again, and Colorado Springs for that matter, there are some really, really nice, good looking churches. Not a lot of them because uh, Colorado is kind of a more sparse sort of area. It doesn't have the sort of history California has, uh, but there are some really nice ones. A lot of times very like late 1800s, mostly like early 1900s kind of history ones. Um, are they like timber frame buildings? They're not timber frame, but they're like they're they're made out of like red rocks and and hard like stone and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll have to show you some pictures of them. But in Colorado Springs, because my I I went to uh, my church in Elizabeth, Colorado. Our Lady of the Visitation was a house, hmm. but it had stained glass. Like what the heck? But that's what it was. And um, but because I was in the diocese of not of Denver but of Colorado Springs. My cathedral, my bishop's uh, cathedral was St. Mary's, which is a kind of a pretty looking red uh, cathedral. It's stark, but it's also very, it's very Colorado. Hmm. So it's, I think it's the best of both worlds because it's like, as a Catholic, we can pay homage to the place where we are and the culture that built it, which is very important. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we can give a space that's, that's, that is properly oriented to the worship of God. But I grew up with my association of, of Catholic church and mass and also the churches around me were kind of houses that were just bigger than others. And then they would kind of put the crucifix in. And fortunately for me, like some of the aesthetics inside this church were nice. We had a good tabernacle. We had a, and we have a beautiful crucifix. But, you know, I grew up never with pews. I grew up with, with chairs and I grew up with carpets and I grew up with felt banners. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, you just kind of realize like, Marty Hoggin was there. Yeah. I mean, oh, dude, I had the most, when, oh man, I had the most hippy dippy guitar masses and tambourines that was a norm i thought that was normal <laughs> catholic music <laughs> our poor listeners are like oh this was me don't worry guys hang in with us but it's true and i didn't realize like i knew that catholic churches as we kind of see them in europe right as we see them in books existed i just didn't have a reality and i think for a lot of people they're like well that's all well and good but it's not a reality and what i think what we need to say of course is that good architecture doesn't always mean breaking the bank as a diocese it doesn't mean you have to build the most giant, elaborate, enormous kind of church. It just means approaching the philosophy not to serve man functionally, but to see what is most beautiful and pleasing to God. Because oftentimes that, fun fact, is reciprocal. That's the most beautiful to us, too. I wonder if a way to remedy the situation in the future would be to close down smaller parishes and then reallocate those assets to create a larger, more distinct beautiful church mm. yeah yeah like you know it's true uh you know it's funny is that they're doing that now but not for that reason yeah you know well. which is unfortunate <laughs> um that's a very good thing to point out though and that's true it's like there are um you know the, the church does have periods of waxing and waning on building stuff mm -hmm. uh right now we're in a ginormous waning period but what's funny is that you kind of look across, again, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles is huge and there are hundreds of parishes. It's, it's very big, yeah. Yeah. And they range from, again, like St. Charles Borromeo, which is a beautiful church, or, or Holy Family. We just went to uh, Mass Holy at Family. Holy Family in Glendale. And I was like, that church has its altar rails, its choir loft preserved. Um, you know, and another thing I wanted to point out, we can talk about is that, as Rudy kind of said, recovated. There's something called a recovation. And so for Catholics who are born after the 60s, uh, we grew up, growing up in that kind of post-Vatican II era church, a lot of times we didn't grow up with altar rails and choir lofts in use and the tabernacle in the center. And we didn't grow up with a ton of aesthetics on the walls or around the church. A lot of times the statues of Mary and Joseph, which sit at the left and the right of the altar in their in their grottos respectively, were removed. Um I grew up with felt banners and we had stained glass, which was kind of nice, but the tabernacle was to the side. And, you know, it's like, I, 
we had a really nice attitude to the Virgin Mary. So I grew up, my church was kind of trying to get back some of those things, but it just, like a lot of churches that were kind of built uh, post that kind of time period, uh, if they weren't fully brutal, it was just kind of hard to reclaim things because it was so far gone. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a reclamation that's on now, but a lot of times we look at older churches and we realize that some of these churches here in Los Angeles fought really hard, you can tell, to keep themselves intact. There in the heart of Hollywood, there is a church called Blessed Sacrament, which is the seat of the Jesuits here in Los Angeles. Don't go there. Let's make the sign of the cross right now for all yeah. the poor souls. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a uh, you know a suggestion for you to go there. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is not a suggestion uh, unless you want to go and pray a rosary in there one day and like like slowly sneak sure. it back. Right. Go Leave look a, at it. Don't go for mass. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but it's true. But you know, it's like there are some churches. However, uh, our church that we went to. I think I saw some old pictures of it mm-hmm. that we used to go to when I first landed here in Los Angeles. And uh, it was a church that, that you know, it's not like the most elaborate kind of church, but it was functionally pleasing and it was good. And they they gutted it. And in fact, they gutted it so hard that you can actually see an imprint of where the high altar used to be. Oh, that's interesting. That's crazy. But if you actually look at his walls, you can see the dark shadow part of where the high altar was. Mm-hmm. And you look at old pictures of it and you go, oh, shoot. That's what it was. And again, it's not just about the, oh, well, it looks nice, whatever it does. It's supposed to be about evoking your soul to really see that God is there, that he really is real and that he wants you to be inside Holy Mother Church. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember too, I don't, yeah, I don't remember too well what churches we went to because our, our family wasn't really practicing consistently and um so we never really had a home parish but i do remember distinctly going to a church that was pretty much a bungalow bungalow yeah it was like um, jungle church (laughs) (laughs) it was a, a smaller parish and it was a bungalow i remember because when you walked you could hear how like your footsteps were hollow you were walking on like plywood. Whoa. It was very weird. It was it was a, it was a very interesting church, but it, it never had any of that uh, tradition. I don't think it ever got renovated. I think it was built out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I never had I never had uh, anything to compare and contrast uh, to when I was younger. Yeah. So it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I just by chance discovered this church called St. Brendan's in Hollywood. And this church, I I would, I would say it's kind of like Gothic. Um, and they have the Nova Soda there and it's just completely, you know, modern, but, um, the architecture itself was so different for me to see, to see that it, it was almost like to see an Episcopal church, you know, and I just wasn't used to that. Mm. And, I realized that there was another dimension to to the aesthetics of the church that I wasn't even aware of. And now today, you know, when we go to St. Vitus, obviously the outside doesn't match what's inside. But even our simple church has a really profound way of directing your heart to, to God. That high altar there is just it makes a world of, of difference yeah I think. and that's why it's not just like the the externals of a church because mm-hmm. you can have again like the beautiful most aesthetically pleasing church and you know I, I i work since i work in hollywood shooting movies one thing that's very important to, to just make a quick mention of is that when hollywood needs like a church they shoot at all the beautiful churches and it's all well and good because, again, the outsides are pleasing, the exteriors are nice, all that kind of stuff. But, again, it's it's about internal disposition and also how the church looks inside. Mm-hmm. So, great. The outside eye has said this is a beautiful church. What's inside that's going to keep you? What does it draw to? In South Central Los Angeles, which one would not think of as a particularly beautiful place, you would be extremely surprised. There are some of the most beautiful churches. I, my my fiance lives nearby one called St. Cecilia's, where she actually went as a little girl to Catholic school. It is fantastic. Uh, the the inside, I, I mean, the, the evocative nature of the inside, everything points to God. There's writing, Greek writing on, on Christ being the Alpha and the Omega on the ceiling. There are actual 
it's like it's like stepping into an orthodox church because the orthodox are very big on iconography and a really mm-hmm. and, and the iconography is actually very evocative of the east so you can see all the apostles in a particular art style that that completely talks about like how beautiful god is uh the enshrinement of of side altars and and different devotions on those side altars and shrines is very important and i can't believe i'm like man in you know in, in a very urbanized part of, of the city it's it, and it's a very very stark and wonderful uh, contrast to kind of the cluster that is around it you know um church architecture does that and so when you're inside yeah there's something very important so what's nice about saint vitus is yeah the outside is not particularly like appealing off the side of the road but the inside what's the focus the focus is leading lines as you was saying our, our crafts right <laughs> they draw the eye to the high altar why because there is where christ sits so imagine this it's not like church church architecture just popped up out of the ground in fact to go back throughout history it's really really cool to go back to see how how the byzantines built churches how the romans built churches how the medievals built churches we talked about gothic architecture but what's it all for it's because up that central aisle everything points to christ himself and the moment you take that away the moment you put that tabernacle to the side the moment you replace it with the presider's chair you do whatever the heck you want the moment you take away the high altar and you erect whatever the heck you want to erect, then the moment you make it a circular kind of thing, then you don't, your eye isn't drawn to the most important place. Christ in the Eucharist is the reason that the church exists. Otherwise, it's an empty, really nice event space, you know? And so because we are literally enthroning the King of Kings, it only makes sense that we do what's best as humanly possible to build our churches as pleasing as we can. Not for our sake, even though we do obviously get a tremendous amount of benefit for it, but because flatly Christ deserves the best. The best thing that we can offer him is him, which is what we do at mass, right? With what the priest does at mass. But outside of that, God has given us so many talents and gifts. And I once had a kind of a funny little quip with a, with a really good Protestant buddy of mine, um, he'd gone with me to mass and we were kind of just talking about the general philosophy of churches and you know he was like it seems like catholics want to put everything in gold <laughs> he's kind of saying that you know a little a little uh, derogatorily and i was like well yeah i was like well we we give god our best <laughs> i was like where where else should gold belong and in 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 typical calvinist fashion he answered well in the bank of course <laughs> wow. I thought that was i was like well that's a good little stark thing but again that's the philosophy so what happens is that what we change is that We'll do whatever we want to do in order to live as comfortable as we want to. And then we build our churches to look like houses or gymnasiums or whatever it is. And we say, well, we can't do the, we can't ever please God hundred percent of the way. So why don't even try is what the philosophy becomes. Yeah. I think the worst example of that would be, uh, people who will say, oh, I, I don't understand why, you know, the church has to have all of these, these beautiful things in there. What about poor people? It's like. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. The the poor people are the people who are putting that in there. They're giving their whole life to to make that church space uh, a wonderful and beautiful place because they know it's for God. It doesn't make any sense. I I, I don't. I mean, besides the obvious, um, the obvious truth, which is that the Catholic Church is pretty much the world leader in helping we are the, the largest charitable <laughs> institution in the history of mankind in the history of mankind not just not just today i'm we talking have entire about entire orders all the time. entire people's dedicated yeah right uh absolutely right you know what something that's very funny is that uh people forget this too so this is another thing why aesthetics are important when we talk about how it's pleasing it leads us to god there's also a very physical tangible way this is so once upon a time, and by once upon a time, I mean for most of church history, there's something called the gospel of the poor. So let's go to the Middle Ages real quick. You have an extremely high illiteracy rate. So how do you have all these peasants in the middle of France know the biblical stories by heart? Uh, that's because an old grandmother brings her grandson into a church, Notre Dame herself or whatever, and you look up and what do you see? Stained glass. What's stained glass? But the actual stories of Christ and the apostles and the saints. So everybody knows who St. Peter is in all the different art styles. Why? Because up there is St. Peter and you can see that he has the keys to the kingdom. 
which was promised in Matthew 16. St. Paul with his sword. St. Saint, Saint Stephen shot full of arrows. I mean, just a litany of saints. But a, <laughs> but just, a, I mean, that's how people learn. That's how we as children learn. We're, we're visual learners for the most part, you know. And stuff that we can't learn by rote, we learn by looking at. And so what's funny is that churches that are beautiful, that are evocative, we look up there and you go, that's St. Joseph. And that's the Virgin Mary. And that's their flight to Egypt because of how they're traveling and how they're traveling on the donkey. And you know these things. It's built into us. And it's very funny how, you know, there's such a, a primacy now on getting away from the aesthetics because they're all trappings, right? They're trappings of their works. They're trappings. They're, they're going to stifle your faith. That's not a real kind of faith. And it's like, it helps those who need it the most. And what's very funny, again, is that I brought friends to different churches for Mass. This same very good Protestant friend of mine, he came, he's come to Mass with me twice. Once uh, in Colorado at my uh, local church there, which is not particularly aesthetically pleasing. It's a Norris Ordo Mass. Uh, and it didn't really give him much of a rise. And in fact, I went to, uh, I and I saw uh, what his Protestant service and it was you know, like there wasn't, there wasn't, there was difference, obviously, but it wasn't like a, a great Stark thing. I took him. So before we had St. Vitus, the fraternity of St. Peter made its, uh, was welcome into St. Victor's, which is a church in Hollywood. Uh, a modest outside, the inside's uh, pretty. And uh, it has altar rails and it has a nice altar and it has a really good choir loft, all that kind of stuff. But to see that in combination with the Latin Mass, got the greatest reaction out of him and at the very end he told me something which i thought was extremely insightful and he said to me i see the difference between protestantism and catholicism he said protestantism is just it's just water it's just a wafer it's just incense but with catholicism everything has a history behind it everything has a meaning whether that meaning silly or not i don't know but everything has some page some synopsis some treaty on why it is and i said that's absolutely right and so when you have that philosophy again every stone of a cathedral belongs it's exquisite it's elaborate it's all this kind of stuff no no no, no. it points us to the great reality that god deserves the very best that this stuff comes from god that all we're doing is trying as best as we humanly can to please him with the gifts which he has given us. And so if that's not reflected in our church architecture, then we've completely lost the plot. And I think that's a deep scandalization of the faithful, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I think it I think it points to lex credendi lex orandi. Mm -hmm. So what you what you pray is what you believe. If you grow up in a, a situation where um, you're in a boomer. Uh, we always make the joke like a boomer mass, you know, like uh, tambourines, <laughs> guitars, sing and to just, the mountains, sing to the sea. Yeah, just almost like a, a Protestant service. Your your heart is not going to be disposed to understand what really is taking place. Mm -hmm. In the previous episode, I I had mentioned you know wanting to bring back bells into the sanctuary because the bells signify the transubstantiation of the, the host into the, the body of our blessed Lord. Um, and I wanted to bring that back because I, I felt that, that there, the community was losing sight of what was taking place. And something as simple as bells helps to, to open your heart to, to a deeper reality of what's taking place there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it sounds stupid, really. Uh, if you're, if you're used to it, I mean, most of the people who are listening probably uh, have bells in the mass. Uh, but if you, if you don't and you've never really thought about it as to why you don't have bells or, you know, maybe it's the first time you're thinking about it. Um, those bells, they they alert you. It's like a Pavlov dog situation. Mm -hmm. You know, the bells ring and you're like, oh, something something's happening there. My mouth is watering. Yeah. <laughs> My heart is watering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's watering out of out of love because because our, our blessed Lord Jesus is there on the altar, you know. Um, but now that now that that architecture has changed inside and out, our faith is suffering a little bit. 
and and we see that in, in a very obvious way where uh for example uh, for me in my experience uh being a, a confirmation teacher i i taught kids for about five years and i would always tell them this ridiculous statistic you know uh I'm sure it's even worse now, but at the time it was 80% of these kids were going to not come back into the church. They mm-hmm. would receive confirmation and they would never return. So I would tell them this, this statistic, you know, just to kind of, you know, be realistic with them and, and tell them, you know, look, this is just, these are just the odds, you know, and I'm going to do my best to, to give you a reason to come back. Mm-hmm. But as hard as I was working to give them a solid foundation, I was working against the clock, against all kinds of different things. The architecture, uh, how the architecture had affected uh, their parents after the conciliar period. And it's not just ar- architecture, it's just poor catechesis that no. people have had um, made worse by the architecture, made worse by all of the, the recovation, <laughs> because now nothing is pointing to God. Um, and, and I would have these kids, I would give them the the statistic and then I would say to myself, oh, okay, well maybe it's making a difference. But in reality, all of these different circumstances, all these different externals were working against me, uh, to the point where these kids, maybe less than, less than 90% of them would, would come. Mm -hmm. I would never see them again. (laughs) Um, so I think we're suffering through that now. And so, so we're, we're kind of seeing the growing pains that have taken place after, after the, uh, the second council, but now to spin it in a more glad way, I, I just think of our first episode where we discussed how tradition is booming and it's booming so much Mm -hmm. to the point where we're at the brim. (laughs) We're, we're, uh, uh. I don't want you to take this the wrong way, people who are listening, but we are in a backwater. We're in San Fernando. Like, <laughs> we might as well be in China or something because San Fernando is like, I don't know, if you live in, in West Hollywood or if you live, uh, I don't know why you would live in West Hollywood. But if you, <laughs> I brought that up because that's like way out there. That's it's like, right. It's like middle of the Los sticks. Angeles mm-hmm. you know? um, or Los Angeles proper. Like, just think about how long it takes to get to San Fernando. It's yeah. like, it's convenient for me because I'm in, or something. and it's convenient because I'm in Burbank. But remember, Burbank is the cusp of Los Angeles. Yeah. So much so it's its own separate city. Yeah. Yeah. So the sticks. So just, just, just the fact that we are at, we're at capacity at every mass. Yeah. That blows my mind mm-hmm. because I know that not everybody there is, you know, a local. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the people that we know, there's plenty of people who drive crazy events. An hour, hour distance. and a half, two hours. Yeah, to get there. And so even though, you know, there's there's all of these externals that are, are there that are working against us, God is still using all of these, these weird things that have happened in the past mm-hmm. to help people to have a deeper, a deeper faith, a, a, a more of a hunger for days of old. The most important thing that, you know, and what we talk when we talk about the recovation, we have to ask why. Well, the answer is because there was a generation of people and some had right intentions. I get it that some had wrong intentions, right? You know, you read some of the reasonings behind and here's the thing. In Europe right now, you have churches that are hundreds of years old and not thousands and they're built you know how churches used to be take a place like like in the in the city state era of of Italy where you would have the church in the center of the town square or or because it's the central hub of a village the shops would all form around it naturally Notre Dame used to have this right and so it would be the hub of places it would be next to the town's well because everyone would conjugate everyone would go to mass together they would draw water from the same place and then the shops would naturally be there and the housing would be there so your churches that are really say when i look at a church like saint cecilia's it's kind of cool because i see what a church integrated into the community is really like it's really exciting to see it's always nice to see like a church that's around you know with a respectable distance of course in in, in our context of our culture but still around businesses and homes and where you can walk to church I, I love that 
uh, you know, I still go to adoration at, at St. Finbar's here in Burbank from time to time, and that's just walkable. Um, and so you, it's nice to have a church that's so close. And, you know, when I think about the fact is that in when the reclamation happened, people said that the church is old and archaic and outdated, and it's rigid. It's stuck in its ways and it's not going to change. And what we've done is, and this is why we say, as Rudy pointed out, it's it was a Protestantizing of the church. That we've kept the Bible and we've kept the teaching under lock and key. But the church ought to open itself up, which is what you hear a lot of times. The church opened its doors during the, the conciliar era. And that was the change in liturgy. Mm-hmm. And that was the change in liturgy. Because surely, if we make people actively participate... If we make uh, if we make the vernacular dominant, if we let the lady have uh, jobs in the mass that have historically gone to the clergy, then that's going to quote unquote reawaken the church. It's going to put us into a spirit of new evangelization and all these other buzzwords that you've heard your entire life. The problem was that we completely looked at the wisdom of 2,000 years of tradition and we said, it doesn't matter. And so you'll notice that in this talk, even about architecture and with a lot of our other podcasts, it's all come around to the same thing. It's all about the mass. It's, it's all the about the liturgy. It doesn't matter what your church looks like. You can, again, our ancestors had mass in the catacombs for heaven's sake. It's about what is taking place on the altar and how it is taking place on the altar. And so, again, you can have the most beautiful, Europe's a testament to this. You have the most beautiful churches in the world and they're empty. And they're not just, and yes, they're aesthetically pleasing. They draw on thousands of tourists, whatever, but they don't touch the faith of people. Why is that? Because when you actually sit down and push comes to shove, there is something that is, that is just missing, that is gutting us. And that's because by the process of the mass, as it is for most of Christian, for Catholicism now, it is not about pointing ourselves to God. It is about the human experience. It's about getting together and during the kiss, the kiss of peace, you're shaking your buddy's hand. Mm-hmm. That's right. Crossing the aisle. Mm, crossing the aisle. And it's about your family who doesn't really want to bring up the gifts, bringing up the gifts. <laughs> and so it's like, it makes a lot of sense. And so they there was a great experiment, you know, it was not, you know, there's a, you know, now I, I have a habit of calling the Protestant Reformation, not a reformation, but a revolution. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing that we have to be honest about and say that this is something that happened in the 60s and 70s. It was not a reformation. It was a revolution. It was not a development of doctrine, teaching and emphasis. It was an about face in a lot of ways. And it was a complete change. Now, where all the chips fall on that is something for the church in these next centuries to really figure out and decide. But what we see nowadays, which is so positive, which is what Rudy talked about, which is what the the, the glad spin on this is, because yes, this episode has been sombering, but we have to look at this stuff honestly, is the fact that the resurgence of tradition orthodoxy means that we are taking a more attentive look at what it actually means to worship in the house of the Lord. What does it actually mean to build our churches, even from modest means, just to make it a little bit more reverential, not just for us, but for our children, not just for us, but for our Lord, for heaven's sake. And what we've discovered, what we see is that there are so many Catholics around who are willing to do that in their own parishes. People are wanting more, not less altar rails. People are wanting more, not less uh, uh, reverence back in the sacristy. People are wanting more, not less of the tabernacle going back into the center and this is exciting. This is actually really, really cool. And so I'll just I'll just say this real quick. Um, my father uh, has been one of the most uh, important people in terms of my faith formation. Both of my parents have been very pivotal, but my dad was my religious education teacher from first communion through confirmation. Uh, my father, as I've said, and maybe in a previous episode, took the uh, the books that they were teaching first communion out of was like, they're not learning for anything from this. And he gave us Baltimore catechisms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely fond of my father and uh, I got him infiltration for Christmas. He finished it in a week and he's been we've been talking about, uh, you know, just kind of an overview of, of the church and our own faith lives and our walks, because because I, I credit my dad very much with my walk into deeper tradition and orthodoxy. 
And I, I you know, because I, I love my father to death, I see that. And I see that in his own journey, which is kind of really, really surreal as a son to see, like your father walking the same sorts of walks and having the same sorts of questions. The church that we went to growing up was built in the 90s. Beforehand, my, my parents went to a church in Castle Rock, Colorado, and they actually rebuilt their church. But my dad was on the, the council for when they were kind of building the new church. And my dad has this episode where he's like, you know, they're talking about things and he's like, it's important that the tabernacle's in the center. <laughs> and um, a woman protests this and says that the problem with the tabernacle being in the center is that it's too distracting her words <laughs> and my oh, and my, my my father my now my father by the way is is don quixote if he didn't go crazy like my dad is a portrait of a proper catholic gentleman so it was by the grace of god that he didn't probably get up and draw his sword and you know stab and twist <laughs> but you know but obviously that very deeply affected him and what we recognize is to, to rudy's point with you with your confirmation kids is that you do all that we can to stem the blood loss Yep. There's a lot of holes, you know, and it's kind of worse when you wake up and you realize that these holes were something that were given to you and they didn't have to be right. It's, but they were, and that even by all the, the, the graces which God has given us, you know, one man against the world is still a very big of a challenge. You know, it's, it's only going to take us as, as Catholics uniting together to build our communities and our parishes in the way that God god that's most pleasing to god and most settling for us as well so if you're a, a catholic maybe you're a teacher maybe you're on a parish council maybe you're in a latin mass that's being told in the most backwater part of your state uh don't lose hope because there are so many tremendously good things that are happening as you pointed out and uh this is the year of laughter and war this is the year where a lot of things are coming to a head. And again, we look at uh, look at what what Father what Father Berg did with that parish in Rhode Island, a pretty church that was dying, that was closing, and all he did is he took it and he reintroduced the Latin Mass, and now it's bursting at the seams. That's not an isolated incident anymore. That's structurally something that only the resurgence of orthodoxy is going to bring about again. Tradition is the future. Tradition is the future. The past is the future, yo. We should make shirts, you know, like (laughs) the feminists, they'll have the future is female. Oh my gosh. The force is female. (laughs) The future is tradition. (laughs) (laughs) Are we, are we, are we a new merch store dropped it? Oh, (laughs) yeah. We should get hats like red hats that say make the mask great again oh shoot that would be sick dang dude that would be sick don't tell don't steal our copyright a trademark trademark Clad Shred podcast if you guys want that merch drop a comment <laughs> drop let a us comment know. let us know we'll, we'll get it done <laughs> we got you guys we'll get it done. <laughs> so what is the worst church architecturally speaking you've ever had the privilege of 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 of, of gazing upon privilege like when you stub your toe and you say thank you jesus that's right privilege like i've been doing in that habit thank (laughs) you for this this horrible pain yeah just just to to make me think of your suffering what is the one that makes you think of cardinal mccarrick riding a bicycle whoa yeah oh dot (laughs) you know what It, it, it pops to mind immediately is there was this one parish in uh get him in northridge <laughs> and i walk in and it was it was like honestly like it was like i was getting punked <laughs> I, I walked yeah. in i walked in it, it didn't look like a church it looked like an audience hall and like a paul the audience hall not as bad (laughs) but there was these weird like panels on the wall behind behind the sanctuary Mm -hmm. and sanctuary in quotes because it was like (laughs) one step yeah and uh like this really crappy table altar it was weird crucifix wasn't even centered it was like off to the side where was the tabernacle 
well, that's the thing. Well, I walked in and I, I got confused and I said, wait a minute, am I in a Catholic church or not? And I started looking around and it turns out that the tabernacle was in a separate chapel, like somewhere down the hall, like on down the, the hall. It wasn't even like anywhere obvious. Mm -hmm. It was, it was very much hidden. And yeah. I just, I, I remember getting really pissed off about it because like, what? what is that <laughs> where am i yeah. this doesn't make any sense right 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 you know so that that to me is like one that i'll never forget did you did you go to mass there or did you just yeah i went to mass there for a holy day of obligation how was the mass rudy uh was it as good as a tabernacle being to the side of the room I'll tell you this. I don't remember the mass. Oh, okay. So repressed. So the the fact of me going in there and being surprised that took precedence over <laughs> how bad the mass could have been. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. What about you? So I'm very fortunate because it's actually no place in Colorado. So even though I, I might say that I, I my my parish that i grew up in looked like a house which it does we did have some nice we had some good elements also I think i'm just nostalgic because uh, we did have a couple of good priests some a little like kind of boomery priests but generally speaking i had a pretty good that said uh the worst church that i've been in uh is it, it's just because of how it hurts i gotta talk i got <laughs> i know so that's it so it's like it might not be the objective that worst thing you've ever seen but it's pretty up there and that's the fact that our cathedral for the queen of the angels of Los Angeles. So here's a problem. Simple as this. There are, so the tabernacle. So to your point, I've been there in two different ways. I've been there a couple of times for worship. Uh, worship? Yeah, I know. That's the only way I can describe. Oh, I'm supposed to say the mass, right? I'm sorry. The tabernacle is also off to a side room in kind of a, I've been a couple. Yeah. I've been there a couple of times in that worship space to feel the Catholic community of Los Angeles come together with a multilingual, diverse, and embodiment of God's kingdom as the people of God. All those dumb words. I know. So no, it's those are oh, certainly all words. Those are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, it's gonna be such a hard Exodus ninety for us. No, but here's the problem. Okay, so yes, the tabernacle isn't in the isn't in the sanctuary. It is off to the side. It's a weird tabernacle. It's a weird by the tabernacle, way. by the way. And the so there's a so also they took a lot of the elements of Saint Viviana's, which I could tell at once upon a time was a really pretty church. It's a pretty event space now. And they put it downstairs in what I call the catacombs. So you can actually go down there into the Museum of St. Vibiana's, quote unquote. And what you realize is that you're actually like the, the museum has more stained glass, more <laughs> reverence and more Catholicism than the upstairs. The second capacity I've been at the cathedral is when it was a concert hall. I watched a yeah, I've watched a I watched a uh, like a, an operetta there. Uh, it was very good, by the way. It was it was an Exodus operetta. It was very, very good. Probably the probably one of the more Catholic things to come out of that place. My face is stuck in this. It is. It is. Disgust it's stuck in an ill. <laughs> that should be the head, the, the face with Glad Chad podcast. You know what's a really like slap in the face <laughs> is when you go into the cathedral and then you go all the way in the back of the church and they have the high altar from St. Vibius. Oh, yeah, I completely like, forgot. It's like off in the corner. Right, I forgot. Okay, so the cathedral, okay. Did you just see my blood get up? Did you see that? I bought a freaking eight now. Wow, I completely forgot about that. That's so true. Okay, so first off, the cathedral has these outer doors which are actually kind of nice, but that doesn't even matter because you walk inside and you forget about them. At the very back, <laughs> at the very back is the high altar that used to sit at St. Vibiana's. This is an old piece that looks like it could have been fashioned in Spain. It's, it's gorgeous beautiful yeah it's beautiful and you know what it's behind it's behind one of those dumb little like red rod kind of like museum exhibit things the like, red velvet this things. is this is a display of what the catholic church was like before we got liberated in the 60s kind of a thing just absolute garbage now <laughs> inside the sanctuary itself um there is so there's, there's nothing there's nothing now there is something cool there's something like if I was going to save anything from this place besides that hat? place, no, not the cardinal <laughs> hat. <laughs> stop, stop it! I'm upset. <laughs> there are these banners of the saints, these really big banners of the saints that are around. Uh -huh. They're not bad. They're not bad. I would take them and put them in a museum. Yeah, you can't destroy the. I wouldn't of the destroy saints. them. Yeah. I wouldn't keep them in the. Sanctuary. They're not like they're not like top iconography, but 
let me tell you this right now. That's like the least of the problems. I'll probably take you the organ too. The organ's very nice, just for the sake of our choir master. But what's funny is this. It's when I was looking at it as an event space, which is what it was when it turned for the operetta, I realized, I was like, wow, how quickly is this place ceased to do anything about the Catholic identity? All they did was they built like this kind of rock stage place where the where the sanctuary should be, right? <laughs> they built it where the altar is. And I was like, very quickly, it stopped being Catholic. They didn't have to change anything else. That was really, really eerie to me. That was really eerie to me. I just remembered something. It's a parallel between the cathedral and this church that I went to. And it annoyed me very much. Is is I see this I see this whenever I go to the cathedral like once a year. <laughs> like once a year for that one mass. Uh-huh. Uh people people genuflect towards the altar. Mm -hmm. They drop on a knee and they don't understand that that dropping of the knee is for the tabernacle, but the tabernacle's not, not there. there. And they did that at the other parish that I went to. They would they would bend the knee to the altar. I'm like, what are you doing? I, the the, I always thought we were bending the, the knee to the there. crucifix. Because growing up, my altar was, my tabernacle was, I mean, by to the side of me, like, it was a whole like three steps to the side, but yeah. it's still to the side. But growing up, that's what I always thought. I didn't actually realize it was, I mean, now I, of course, we genuflected, of course, to the tabernacle mm -hmm. and bowed to the tabernacle. So it's not like I didn't know Jesus was there, of course. Yeah, there's two forms. You genuflect to the tabernacle, you you bend, you do a bow mm -hmm. to the altar. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> that's all I can say. That's rough. And it's so, and you know what? It's like you take everything into account and you realize it's like the archdiocese could have, Again, because we're not triumphalist Catholics anymore because all that kind of stuff. But man, it's like you couldn't have looked at any of the other gorgeous churches in Los Angeles that really fought for the architecture and thought that was more evocative or good. It's an event space. We rent it out for it. The fact that we rent our cathedral out like this is is, is crazy to me. Um, yeah, man. It's the Taj Mahoney. It's the Taj Mahoney. So Cardinal Roger Mahoney was is a disgraced cardinal. Uh, because that is somehow still that is somehow still doing stuff in the archdiocese by the blessing of our bishop, our archbishop. Uh, that's a whole can of worms for another day. Yeah, but let's just say this: that living in the in the largest diocese in the United States with the largest amount of sex abuse payouts until New York probably is going to top us because of the statute of limitations. Yeah, and then seeing the recovations that happened and seeing and so here's the thing: here's the, here's the easy way of capitalizing on our cardinal roger mahoney god bless his soul you know I, I would be very happy if that man came to tradition god help him he really legitimately so back in the bad days which was essentially before the early 2000s started trying to standardize some stuff because benedict finally started getting a handle on things uh the precious so the gifts as they're brought up right but they, there used to be something called uh, glassware and stemware like the the, the wine would come out and ice pitchers <laughs> yeah can you imagine this can you imagine this at like a fraternity match? that was absurd that would be hey guys <laughs> hey guys lemonade yeah honestly and so that was how they'd bring it up and then they'd pour it into the crystal glass things and that's what they would happen the vatican itself was like yeah priests you can't do that cardinal roger mahoney continued that practice here in california oh dude it's so common man everybody oh does yeah that. oh i know it's so lame i hate seeing that that's liturgical abuse that's probably. liturgical abuse and it's not ah Man, dude, we're up. Blood's up. But yeah, point being is this. Look, it is, it, it's, so I, I, we have actually a buddy, our mutual buddy, and we always kind of ask, look, what would happen if we, if any of us were Pope? What's our first decree? And our buddy, who's a, who's a very fiery Assyrian, so he has that warrior blood, is like, he's like, he's like, the first thing I would do is I would call Archbishop <laughs> Gomez. And I would say, he says it in some funny thing. He goes, he goes, you have 10 minutes. The bulldozers are coming. They're going to demolish the cathedral. Get what you want and get out. <laughs> Grab all the relics. Grab all the relics and get out. And I'd be, I think that that's the most wonderful thing you possibly could do. Amen, oh, so be it. Amen. Oh, so <laughs> one day. Uh-huh. May it, let it be. So let it be written. So let it be done. So let it be done. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Glad Trad Podcast. Thanks for keeping it locked in. Ooh, to the Glad Trad Podcast. And to all of you in Dreamland.
You really wanted to say that, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Please don't forget to uh, go ahead and like, leave a comment if you want to talk about some of the architecture uh, triumphs and uh, failings you've seen in your own Catholic life. And uh, please, uh, you know, we would love to hear both your feedback and also we would love if you could share this with maybe other people who you know would probably probably really much like this. Uh, Every little share, every little like, every little comment really does help. So thank you so much. Hey, by the way, if you have an altar rail in your attic or something. Oh, gosh. Send it to us. Send it to us. We'd like to preserve it. We got it. Yeah, honestly. So I I really have this idea of really going around and asking people about the recovations. Because some people in this town remember it, actually. They walked in one day and their altar rails were gone. And it was like. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say surprise Pikachu face. (laughs) <laughs> anyway god bless you and may I keep you please pray for us as we go through our exodus 90s by the way we are going to need those for sure and we will catch you a little bit later adios goodbye oh, oh, oh.